Hey, Al. Hey, Barry. Why should you not take a broken spear into battle? Please tell me. Well, I mean, it's kind of pointless. It's time for Compelled Duel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Duel. I'm Barry. And I'm Al. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd D&D 5e actual play podcast. Previously on Compelled Duel. I am having somewhat of a difficult few weeks, yes. You know, what with the being framed for a murder and being arrested and finding out a lot of troubling information about my family history and being kidnapped and I woke up in a dumpster and then I killed a person. Yeah, I've been there. You are the closest to home you have been in seven years. And as you draw closer, something weird happens. We're on the wrong side of the island. Captain! We're looking at those odds, and the best thing we can come up with is soap. Natural 20! Fee, you fully hang 10 on this wave. So that is 17 bludgeoning damage as Leo just absolutely eats shit on this beach. Cowabunga, dudes. Dozens of Kimberlite priests start to flood out of these buildings. Okay, abort mission. We'll come back later. Go, 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 go. A dark shape comes out of a tree at you and tackles you flat to the ground. Last time I'm asking, who are you? This figure shakes their head again, looking troubled. And then one gloved hand goes up to the mask over the lower half of their face and pulls it down. And Leo, you are looking at your mother. Softly, almost hopefully, she says, Lero? Mom? We find ourselves on the island of Luxtagallen, in a clearing in the woods, where Ferrara and Lair of Alcine decided to stop for the night after being chased for quite a while by a large force of the island's priests. We find Leo backed up against a fallen tree trunk, and Fee holding her shield a few feet away, both staring at a figure seated on the ground that, by all appearances, is Archduchess Adana Valzine. What are you doing? Fucking dissociating for a good minute. But as he fights his way back to lucidity, he tenses his jaw tightens his grip on his knife and does not drop the prepared blight spell that he has as he takes a couple steps closer to this person on the ground. What's my favorite color? Still looking 
extremely shell-shocked by this turn of events. This figure on the ground has her eyebrows pinched together, looks like she's thinking, and just absentmindedly doesn't even think about it, just replies, Yellow, what? What is going- What's my best friend's name? What was my least favorite thing to study in my lessons? What was the name of the stuffed owl bear that you got me when I was 25? And if you can't answer these, and this is some kind of trick, it is not going to end well for you. This woman, kneeling on the ground, shakes her head sharply, and again, absentmindedly, as she starts moving her hands in what appear to be the somatic components for a spell, she says, Elena or Kalesa, depending on the day, you hated magical theory, and the the owlbear was, was... Her hands start to spread, and you see this glowing, like, cat's cradle of magical threads between her hands. It doesn't look how you remember your mother's magic looking. It's warped and disconnected. There are some loose, dangling threads. A few of them meet up where they're not supposed to. It's strange. She shakes her head again and goes, Oh, what was the owlbear's name? It was... Count Feathersby. That's it. That's... Yes, 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 that's it. Leo drops his knife on the ground. And then sprints over, slides to his knees, and pulls his mother into his arms. And he is bawling his eyes out. She startles as you get up in her personal space. And this glowing cat's cradle of magic flickers and then disappears. And she hugs you back super tight. Leo is like inconsolable. He has gone from a grown-ass man to a confused and scared little kid in less than a second. (laughs) I thought you were dead. They took you and I thought you were dead and that it was my fault. She's hugging you back super hard. She rubs a circle between your shoulder blades and pets your hair down. And over her shoulder, you see Fee still standing there a couple feet away. Both hands raised in confusion. Leo stops crying immediately, like mid-sob, eyes going wide and horrified. Oh, fuck, this is about to be awkward. Adana starts to pull back with a confused noise. What's going to be awkward? And Fee, over her shoulder, just starts making frantic throat-slashing motions. Uh... Mom, this is... No one! I am no one at all! I don't know how down for this particular course of action Leo actually is, but he's not gonna argue it right now, because there is way too much going on in his head. He just sort of stands up and swipes a hand under both of his eyes. Okay, we've, um... We've got to go find shelter somewhere. Those priests are still out here. Your mom shakes her head, blinks a couple times, also swipes a hand under both of her eyes and says, Uh, right, right, um, I have somewhere. And then she just walks off. Leo follows her, but not before turning around to Fee and mouthing, No one? Fee just shakes her head and does another throat-slashing motion. Okay, you know what? 
I think that sometimes being a good big brother means letting you make your own mistakes. So I'll play along with this as long as you want me to, Fee, but I want to go on the record as saying that this particular deception is going to bite you in the ass. Do you know how much I got away with as a child? I'm sure you'll tell me. Nothing. I got away with nothing because my mother sees the future. She has knives, and I am the bastard child that destroyed her marriage. Leo! From a few feet away through the trees, your mother says, Sorry, what are you two talking about? Nothing, Mom. (laughs) He jogs up ahead of Fee to fall into step with Adana, but as he does that, he uses the bracer to zap Kimrel's blade back from where he dropped it on the ground, and sort of twirls it, and casts a sending spell. To Zed, the message says, So, a lot just happened. We're safe, but we couldn't get the island's defenses disabled. Trying again later, I'll explain when I can. Love you. As you're walking, your mom reaches out and just loops her fingers around your sleeve. And Zed sends a message back that says, I love you too. The hell do you mean a lot happened? Uh, Leo's got another third level spell slot available. He's gonna do another sending. Well, you see... Actually, no. I shouldn't discuss this with you through a sending spell. I'm okay. I need some time to process this. I'll tell you later. Almost immediately, Zed sends back. Cool. Totally normal and not at all ominous sending spell to receive, as always. Love you, boss. Leo winces, zaps the knife back into his bracer, and then brings up his free hand to close around where his mom's fingers are wrapped up in his sleeve, just clinging to her like a child being ushered across a busy street. And he keeps walking. Fee, you are walking through this dark forest across Luxtogallen, a few yards behind your brother and his mom, apparently, who is alive, apparently. How are you feeling and what are you doing? Oh, thank you for asking. I'm feeling absolutely cuckoo bananas. <laughs> And I'm trying to be very quiet so everyone forgets that I'm here. Fortunately for you, that is a pretty easy task to accomplish. Adana and Leo are just clinging to each other a few paces ahead of you, sort of leaning in towards each other as they walk forward. After a few more minutes of walking, you see Adana pull that mask back up over her face and pull her hood back up, and she almost disappears into the night. You have to utilize every bit of your dark vision and really squint to even see her moving, even from right next to Leo. As you notice this, you see her pull out this very rough-hewn, improvised, almost-looking wand, and then there is a and a ripple of softly glowing silver threads of magic that come out from her, draping over the leaf-covered ground at your feet in like a 15-foot radius. 
you guys are going to have to roll a stealth check to get out of these woods unseen, but Adana has just cast a Pass Without a Trace spell on the three of you. And we'll be digging into this a little bit further later on, but yeah, in her 75-odd years apparently ramboing around this island, Adana is not just a wizard anymore, she has picked up a few levels in Gloomstalker Ranger. So everybody's rolling stealth, but because of Pass Without a Trace, we're all getting plus 10 on top of our original stealth modifiers. Fee gets 23. Okay, Adana gets a 25, and Leo gets, well, I rolled a 14, but that's a 39. You guys are not found. The three of you are like ghosts in the night, weaving back and forth between these tall, slender pine trees, up what seems to be a small mountain on one side of the island. Adana very clearly knows where she's going. She's just sort of tugging Leo along behind her, and you're following in their footsteps. And your journey ends in a small cave sticking out of an outcropping of black rock. You almost miss it. It's like your eyes want to glaze over it. Hmm. That's weird. Okay. Before you can think about it too much, Adana lets go of Leo and walks very confidently into this cave and fully fucking disappears. It is not a stealth thing. It is not a her being well camouflaged thing. She walks into the mouth of this cave and she is there one second and then she is gone. Okay, I don't like that at all. As you draw up even with Leo, you see him looking panicked into this cave. Yeah, me either. Mom? And then Adana's head pokes back out of the cave. Just her head. It's weird. There is this plane of, now you are able to infer magical darkness across the mouth of this cave, and she has just barely stuck her head out beyond the boundary of it. She looks back and forth between the two of you and gives you this slow, hesitant smile. Oh, it's okay. Um, it's a private sanctum spell. Nobody will be able to find us in here. It's gonna be a little tight with three of us, and not exactly the palace, but it'll do. Do I know what a private sanctum spell is? You can roll an arcana check. 21. Oh yeah, you absolutely know what it does. It's not a kind of magic that you can cast. It is a spell from the School of Abjuration. But you have learned enough in your magic lessons with Alasha to know that a private sanctum spell essentially secures an area from detection, both through physical means or through means of things like divination spells. There are protections you can impose on an area with a spell where people can't teleport into it, people can't scry inside of it. People can't see inside of it. You would guess that's why Adana's head is like floating out of the darkness at you right now. Thinking about it as a magician yourself, it seems like a pretty smart idea for her to have done this here because it's a dark cave and nobody's going to be able to see inside of it. So this place is probably pretty safe as far as you can tell. Okay. He's going to grab Leo and go in the cave. 
you walk into this cave and you can feel yourself passing the barrier of this private sanctum spell. Almost immediately behind you, you hear all of the noises of the forest completely stop. They are replaced by the crackle of a fire and the slow drip of water in a damp cave. And as you look around, you see that Archduchess Adana Valsine has apparently been making her home in this cave for a long time. It's very smoky in here. The whole place is lit up by a low burning fire in the center of the cave, casting everything into shadows on the wall. On the stone, you can see these tally marks, innumerable tally marks etched in with some kind of sharp implement, almost as if marking days, weeks, the passage of time somehow. In one far corner, there is a bedroll that consists of foliage from the forest covered by animal hides and scraps of scavenged fabric. There are bundles of drying herbs hanging from the ceiling. And right next to the fire, you see this huge hunk of obsidian. It would take somebody a two-armed grip to lift that has been hollowed out into a shallow bowl filled with water. After watching your brother cast scrying several times, you can conjecture that this is a homemade scrying focus. You watch Adana pause right inside the barrier of this private sanctum spell and start shedding all of the outer layers of her clothing. So her hooded cloak, her mask, all of that stuff leaving her in mismatched leather armor and a set of very simple worn clothes underneath it. She curls up on the floor of this cave next to the fire, looks up at Leo, and raises an eyebrow. Alright, well there are a lot of unanswered questions going on right now. I think the one we should focus on is what are you doing here, Laryl? Leo still looks really shaken up, but he does fold himself down onto the floor next to her and stare into the fire for a couple seconds before taking a deep, shaky breath and beginning to speak. He tells her everything. But during this whole story, this history of how the two of you got to where you are, you note that a couple different times he makes eye contact with you, Fee and elects to leave you out of the story, because that is what you indicated to him that you wanted. So rather than explaining why he left Astraria, he just says he had to leave. Rather than explaining how he ended up in Oskaya, he just says that he did. And the longer he talks, the more confused you see Adana getting. There are moments throughout this narrative where she'll close her eyes and shake her head and you'll see that gleaming cat's cradle of magic pop up between her fingers again, but it flickers and jolts in an odd way and whatever answers she's looking for inside of it don't seem to come to her. Leo finishes catching her up and she looks like she is on a razor's edge mentally. 
but then she swallows really hard, shakes her head again, and hides it. Hides it well enough for Leo not to notice, but you do. Okay, and you said that you had friends waiting in the water beyond the island. That means we'll have to take down the magical defenses. That's going to be a big day. You should rest, sweetheart. I'll take first watch. Go take your trance. Leo opens his mouth to argue, and Adana's eyebrows creep a little further up her forehead. Now! And he very meekly goes and curls up on this bedroll and lays down. For as wound up as Leo is from all of the recent events, he is also fucking exhausted and falls into his trance before too awfully long. Adana kind of sits down next to the bedroll that he's laying on and pets his hair until his breathing evens out and he's clearly trancing. But as soon as he's out, she springs into action, vaults across the cave, starts hauling at this big flat stone that is perched against the wall, and pulls it away to reveal a hollowed out little cavity in the stone that is stuffed full of scraps of paper that look to have been collected over the years. She ruffles through this pile for a bit and then pulls out one little scrap of paper and a tiny nub of charcoal and just hunches over it next to the fire and starts scribbling frantically. Fee has just been sitting there wringing her hands. She opens her mouth, closes it, and then, awkward and halting, says, Uh, are you alright? She startles a bit, and then just blinks hurriedly, shakes her head, and goes back to scribbling on the paper. Oh, um, thank you for asking. It's just, I have to write things down. You see, he can change the things that you remember, but not the things that you write down. I had, will have, have? A hollowed up piece of my desk at the palace where I keep, kept, everything? Hold on. Uh, oh, um, that, <clears throat> that was a long time ago, then. No, that's not right. I, I haven't been here for that long. Have I? Hold on. And she reaches behind her, pulls out more of that pile of papers, and starts rifling through it. I'm sorry, I'm... <laughs> I'm probably not making any sense. Sometimes I just get... lost. Right, I, I, I'm... I'm, I'm sorry? She looks up at you, and the two of you lock eyes. And for a moment, you can see her very clearly fighting for lucidity. You don't have to be sorry about any of this. It's not your fault. I know who you are, by the way. Fee flinches. Adana looks at these mismatched papers in her hands with a tired, bitter little smile. You don't look anything like him. 
What's your name? I assume that it's different now than it was, is, will be. Hold on. Ferrara. It's... I'm Ferrara. Ferrara, got it. She goes back to scribbling on her papers, and you can see her writing your name in big block letters. She looks over at where Leo is still trancing, and then back to you, frowning like she's trying to parse out some sort of really complicated math problem. So I'm guessing that you're what fills in all the blanks in his story? Fee just hunches in on herself, looking into the fire. Yeah, I, um, things weren't great between the two of us for a very long time. She pauses and tilts her head to the side in a way that is eerily reminiscent of Leo when he is trying to parse things out in whatever grand plan he's working on. She scribbles down a few more things on this paper under where she's written your name. But that's not the case anymore. No, it's not. Good guess. Oh, it's not a guess, dear. He lied to his mother for you. That means he cares. A lot. If possible, Fee hunches in even further on herself. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry for... Lying to you, and for making Leo lie to you. I just wasn't sure things would end well if we just came out and said who I was. Given everything. The little bit of charcoal that she has in her hand pauses over the surface of the paper, and she watches you for a long time. In this long stretch of silence, you can see her eyes cycling back and forth between cloudy confusion and lucidity several times. But eventually, they settle on that very sharp, clear silver. She puts the stack of papers down and scoots a little closer to you next to the fire. You didn't ask to exist at all, much less to be brought into the world the way you were. You don't ever have to apologize for the fact that the people that were supposed to protect you chose to hurt you instead, Ferrara. Especially not to me. She stays curled in on herself for a long moment, takes a shaky breath, and says, Thank you. For saying that, I, um, I know that my father hurt you as well, so I feel like I should at least return the sentiment. Adana stares into the fire, and you see that odd flicker between confusion and lucidity skate across her eyes again. He wasn't always like this. That's probably more of a comfort to me than it is to you. After Falloran died, I had questions. Questions that, in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have asked. And, well... 
she spreads her hands apart in front of her, and you see that fragmented cat's cradle pop up again. Time's like a string, Ferrara. Every crucial moment, every decision we make, another string pops up. And I learned when I was very young to be able to understand it, to be able to look in between the strings and see what could happen. But when people warp and twist the things that you know and the things that you believe, it breaks you. I'm a fly caught in a web. And frankly, most days, I don't know where or when or who I am anymore. Fee kind of looks down at her hands, starts wringing them again. About... (laughs) Shit, uh, almost a year and a half ago now, I had questions about my birth mother, and he didn't want to answer them. And it, it wasn't for long, but he... I've never been confident in my voice. When I was young, I felt like I could never say the right thing. It's always been difficult for me to get my thoughts together like that. And then I got older and it was... An entirely different sort of insecurity. And then I finally got to a place where it didn't bother me. And he took it away. It's still hard. Since, it's just... It's hard sometimes to try and say what I'm thinking. She brings up one hand and just presses it against her throat. Adana very slowly and carefully reaches out to grab your hand and then turns around over her shoulder to look at Leo who is still peacefully trancing. I know how it feels to be lost like that. I've been lost like that for a long time. But then I saw him and for the first time in decades I was present And I heard his story, and it didn't make sense, because... Because how could it? Do you know when he was born that Morlin was scared to hold him? He looked down at his child and said, I don't want to hurt him. There is no reconciling that person with the person that actively tried to kill my son. So whatever monster is currently sitting on the throne of Astraria, I will help you kill it. Because it killed my husband, it destroyed me, and it tried to destroy everything that I care about. She looks for a moment like she's about to get lost again, that odd glaze coming across her eyes, But then she screws her eyes shut, tenses her jaw, and shakes her head really hard, holding on to that clarity as hard as she can. We've got a big day tomorrow. You should take your trance. I can keep watch. Um, yeah, okay. 
and Fee's gonna go take her chance. Leo, you wake up in the morning to the smell of frying eggs and the sound of your mother humming under her breath. Woof, that's a mindfuck. Okay. Leo opens his eyes and sits up. Adana is fussing over a little campfire with a pan on it, and Fee is curled up trancing next to you, with her back to the wall. Leo elbows her. <laughs> you elbow Fee, and she ineffectually slaps at you. Leo dodges out of the way and then pokes her in the ribs. Wakey wakey, eggs and bakey. Well, I don't know if there's any bakey, but there are eggs. Fee grumbles but sits up, and Adana looks up from this breakfast that she is making, smiles a little bit, and says, Good morning, you two. Uh, we have a lot to plan. Understatement of the century. Yeah, um... Leo grabs whatever vessel there is to eat his eggs off of, and kind of looks back and forth between his mom and Fee. Alright, so... We need to shut down the spell that's making the island unapproachable, and also shut down those weird magic turret things. Mom, do you know how many of those there even are on the island? Adana shoving her breakfast in her mouth at a speed that speaks to not having had the opportunity to slow down very much. Says, mm, well, <clears throat> to my knowledge, there are only three, but they sort of all have to be down at the same time for anyone to be able to approach. Okay. So we go, we scout out the tower, we see if we can find wherever they're keeping what's controlling that spell. We somehow manage to get in there and shut it down, and then we go after the turrets. Adana says, That's going to be a little bit difficult, given that most of the high-ranking members of the priesthood that are stationed here live in that tower. It's outbuildings for all the initiates, but everyone with real power is there. So not a fun environment to walk into, you're saying. <laughs> and that is the real understatement of the century. Well, we can't deal with anything without knowing what we're dealing with. Obviously, we're going to have to wait until night to take any action, but I think that scouting is a prudent decision. Oh, speaking of which, Fee, can you get a message off to Sabine and tell her to tell everybody else to be ready to go tonight? Uh, yeah, sure. And Fee pulls out her beacon coin and starts sending off a message to Sabine. Uh, roll me a perception check, low DC. 16. Adana does not react with any kind of recognition to the sight of Fee's beacon coin. Well, that's a relief. Leo pauses for a second and then digs his crystal ball out of his bag and hands it out to his mom. You can probably use this more effectively than I can. Is there anything you can do to get us eyes inside that tower? Adana smirks like you just said something funny as she takes this crystal ball from you. Yes, I can get some eyes in there. God, she's so cool. Okay, Leo's gonna huddle up next to his mom and wave Fee over to watch whatever it is that's about to go down. Adana starts casting a spell called Arcane Eye. She holds this crystal ball in between her hands, 
and you see the inside of it light up with little threads of magic, almost like a plasma ball, but in the shape of one of those cat's cradles. Behind her eyelids, her eyes start to glow with an unearthly light, the same color as her magic. And then the crystal ball shifts, and the magical threads are replaced with just the image of an eye that looks remarkably like Adana's, just staring wildly, taking up the entire surface of the crystal ball. It shrinks into a little pinprick of light, and you see the inside of the cave projected on this crystal ball. Whatever is projecting this starts moving out of the cave through the woods. And Adana opens her own eyes and says, Right, that'll take a few minutes to get to the tower, but this is what we can do. That is either the weirdest or the coolest thing I've ever seen. Next to you, Fee nods, eyes wide, in agreement. And Adana smirks winks and says, well, I didn't get where I did just on the merit of my good looks. You all watch as this eye flies through the forest and over the island up to the grand imposing lighthouse. It shoop, goes under a door and you see the entry hall where Alander Valsine broke the deal that he made with Kimrel and became Aliri's first divine soul sorcerer. Well, that's unsettling. I'm going to look around in this vision and see if I can see anything that looks like a big, magical what's-it controlling the spell, keeping people from getting on the island. Make me an investigation check. I'll let you do it with advantage because Adana and Fee are both helping. And I've still got proficiency, so... Dirty 20. You start looking around. The ghost of Soren Chakrana appears, leaning over your shoulder, close enough that if he were corporeal, you could feel his breath on the back of your neck. And you see, tucked into what was once probably like a space for a wall sconce in this room, a little crystal softly pulsing with silvery purple light. Okay, I think I see something over there on the wall. Mom, can you get us in closer? This arcane eye zooms across this entry hall with its tall, almost cavernous ceiling. The light does not reach up to the top of this room, so it looks almost endless. But it zooms across and up to this little crystal. It's probably about the size of your fist. As that's happening, can you roll perception for me, please? 29. Uh-oh. Okay. With a 29, you see a group of priests leading someone over toward where this crystal is. The one person not in priest's garb is a young Ashurian elven man, no one you recognize, fighting against the holds on his arms. The priests are not even paying attention. There are two on each side of the sky, just 
clamped on, dragging him toward where the Arcanai is. And they stop at sort of a circle of stones on the floor, just high enough that no one would, like, accidentally walk over them. These stones are almost in time with the crystal that you're looking at being lit by something from within the circle. And as you are looking at this, Soren's ghost disappears from behind you. Leo startles and whips around to look over his shoulder. What? Fee next to you, still looking into the crystal ball, says, Wait, is that... And as you turn back, you see a much slighter figure than the priests holding on to this person that you don't know in a gauzy black veil, a priest's knife raised in one hand. Adana, still both hands on the crystal ball, says, Oh, that's the new Hierophant, isn't it? Poor boy. You all watch these priests continue to drag this person up to the edge of this ring of stones. You can see that this young man is saying something, but you can't hear through the spell. You watch the Hierophant with the veil over his face make a gesture with the knife and walk up to the circle of stones. You watch the priests force this young man down onto his knees next to the stone circle, and the Hierophant makes another vague gesture with his priest's knife, and then slashes it across this young man's throat, and the priests chuck him over the side of this hole. Fee goes, whoa, what? And the image flickers and dies away as Adana takes both hands off the crystal ball. Leo's eyes go big as dinner plates, and he just claps both hands over his mouth. Fee kind of scoots back along the cave floor, shaking her head. There is a heavy, oppressive silence in this cave as Adana puts the crystal ball down like it is a bomb and leans away from it. He just stares at this empty crystal ball for a really long time, slowly peels his hands away from his mouth and sits up. Oh my god. Oh my god, that's what they did to Soren. And Leo gets up, runs out of the cave, and fucking throws up. You're out there alone for a long moment. In the kind of eerie silence of the forest on Luxtagallan. The air is absent of the usual sounds of animals running around in the undergrowth. So all you can hear is your own ragged breathing. Yeah, I think Leo is fully on the ground, in the fetal position, having the worst meltdown he's ever had. After a long moment, Fee appears out of the cave and comes over and just sits down on the ground next to you. Leo, sobbing so hard that it hurts, just crawls into her lap and curls up into her shoulder. Fee holds on to you super tight. 
You can vaguely hear her sniffling right next to your ear. And you two just sit there for a long, long moment. Leo cries until he physically can't anymore. And once his body has gone back into that state of numbness, he sort of just looks over Fee's shoulder into the forest. 10,000 years. It's been 10,000 years since Alander made that deal. And whatever that thing is, it's been getting hungrier the whole time. How many sorcerers are there in Australia? 10-15% of the population? What does it take to keep that power going? How many people has this happened to? He brings a hand up in front of his face and looks down at the engagement ring still around his finger, and his jaw sets and his eyes go very hard. This stops now. Fee reaches up to wipe at her eyes, nods, and sets her jaw just as firm. Yeah. We're gonna stop it. We're stopping it now. Leo kind of extricates himself from the hug and flops over to sit with his back against a tree trunk, zaps Kimrel's blade out of its bracer, and looks at it contemplatively. Yeah. We wait for nightfall, and then we stop it. And you do. The three of you continue resting up as best you can, planning out the minutiae of how you're going to get into the tower, destroy this crystal thing, and then get out to destroy the pylons that are protecting the island. As night falls, we find the three of you approaching what used to be the lighthouse of Luxtagallen. What are you doing? Leo's taking point. He has the best passive perception out of anybody here. He's crouched down in the undergrowth right before the forest is cleared away around this tower, just watching the front door. All right, I'm going to make sure the coast is clear. And he pulls out his crystal ball and casts clairvoyance on the other side of the front door. I just want to sweep the bottom floor of the lighthouse and make sure that there's nobody down there. There are lights in the windows of the tower. There are obviously people up and moving around, but the first floor is empty and dark except for the pulsing light from the crystal keeping anyone from finding the island and the cavernous hole in this ring of stones on the floor. Okay, people are still up moving around in the building, but the first floor is clear. Mom, you know how to cast invisibility, right? I've seen you do it before. Adana nods and says, Uh, I don't have a greater invisibility spell, so as soon as we cast anything we'll be visible, but I can make us invisible enough to get in. Or you can make me invisible enough to get in, and then I destroy that crystal and run like hell. Immediately, Fee and Adana are talking over each other to tell you how much of a dumbass you're being. I am the fastest person here, and I'm the person here that's best at hiding. The risk factor is lower if I go in by myself. Can someone just trust me to not fuck things up for once? Fee starts to say, It's not about not trusting you, it's- And then Adana holds up a hand, screws her eyes shut, shakes her head. 
Leo, I understand where you're coming from. But as someone who fought a war with the hope that my child wouldn't have to, and watched a lot of people die without backup, I am not sending you in there alone. He stares daggers down at his shoes for a few seconds, and then finally just throws his hands up and starts walking towards the tower. Fine, we all go. Cast the spell. Okay. Adana casts invisibility on herself, on Leo, and on Fee. Cool. Once we're invisible, I'm gonna get out my thieves' tools and go check out the front door. It is locked because it's the middle of the night, and this is the most secure location in the entire country of Asharia. So go ahead and roll me a lockpicking check. Oh, I don't like this. I would love to cast fine traps, but that would break my invisibility, so it's okay. I have over 100 hit points. How bad could this go? 27 on the lockpicking check. Okay, that'll do it. Roll a wisdom saving throw. Fuck shit, damn it. 17. That's not gonna do it. Let me roll for Adana and Fee. Neither of those is gonna do it either. Okay, you are all under the effect of the hold person spell. Fuck. Oh no. And none of us can do anything because we can't cast because all of our stuff has somatic components. Oh, we are fucked. Sure are. Uh, let me roll something real quick. That was not a good roll. Huh, okay. After a second, you're standing there, invisible, with this door open in front of you. And you see, just at the top of the spiral staircase in the middle of the sentry hall, someone glowing softly. And you see a length of black gauzy fabric spilling over the railing. And then whoever it is trips <laughs> because you rolled a fucking forward stealth and you hear very softly. Fuck. Leo holds his breath. You watch this figure on the staircase, very small, glowing softly even through the dark fabric of a set of priest's robes, and a long, gauzy veil over the face. The Hierophant stops, looking at this open door and the fact that nobody is there, tilts his head in the same way that he did when you saw him through the arcane eye right before he killed somebody, and then turns around and walks back up the stairs. And the hold person drops. Okay, we'll examine what the hell that was and why that just happened later. Go, 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 go! I'm running for the crystal. The three of you all cross this entry hall to where this crystal is shoved up in what used to be a sconce. Leo lets his invisibility drop and casts Dispel Magic. Okay, uh, roll for it. The DC is 19. And that's just a roll of the d20 plus my ability modifier, right? Yep, just d20 add your whiz. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. 13. I cast it again. This is my last third level spell slot. Eight. Okay, you cast a spell magic once, and it hits this crystal and spreads harmlessly, 
like water hitting a sheet of glass. You cast it again, and it hits and goes to do the same thing. And then a bright but jittery and fragmented tessellation of magic appears around your spell as Adana gives you one of her portent rolls. Okay, what is that portent roll? 14, which with your plus 5 to whiz is exactly 19. Oh, thank god. Okay. So you dispel the magic on this crystal, and it goes dim and then completely dark. Okay, Fee and Adana are still invisible, but Leo sure as hell is not. He looks around at where he thinks they are, nods toward the door, and goes, Run! Run! Now that you are visible, roll me a wisdom save. Again? Yeah, it's for something else. Fuck me, dude. 22? Okay, you take no damage. But as you are walking back across this entry hall, and as you pass this ring of stones on the floor, you hear, as if from very far away, Leo? Leo stops and looks around, trying to figure out where it came from. There is nobody in this entry hall except for you, your mother, and your sister. Just this big hole in the ground, with this soft light pulsing out of it. And again, you hear... Leo! And this time you can tell that it's Soren's voice. I walk up to the hole in the floor. Roll me another whiz save. 23. Okay, that'll do it. You walk up to this ring of stones, and you look over them into this hole, and you see what has become of the crack in the ground that opened up when Elender Valsine let go of his sister's hand. You look down, and you see the chasm from your dreams. This immense gash in the surface of the world that has been tiled over. You see hands reaching over the edge of it and then falling away. You see what looks to be an immense crowd. You can't distinguish faces. Some of these figures don't seem to have them. But just this huge crowd, thousands of people, thousands of ghosts, clamoring against each other and trying to reach up and get out of this chasm. You hear one more time Soren's voice yell, Leo! And then thousands of other voices join in, all yelling your name from down in this pit. Leo's gonna kneel down at the edge of this circle of stones and just very slowly, almost looking like he's moving not of his own volition, stick one hand in towards these hands that are reaching up for him. Okay, you're reaching into the hole. You take... 14 necrotic damage. And then roll me an athletics check 
or acrobatics. Eight. <laughs> That's not going to do it, just barely. Um, Fee springs back into visibility as she grapples you and tugs you back from this hole. Yeah, I don't think Leo's super functional after what he just saw and heard. I think he's just numbly staring at this hole in the ground, clutching the arm to his chest where that necrotic energy probably entered. Oh yeah, as you pull your hand back, you see that the ends of your fingertips have started to blacken and dry out. Like frostbite. Fee pulls away from you and just hisses, What the hell are you thinking? I, I, I don't know. It, it called me. It knew my name. You hear Adana's voice. She is still not visible. Say, we can discuss this later. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, go. And still looking very numb and shut down, Leo turns on his heel and runs out of the tower. Yeah, Fee and Adana are both going with you. Uh, two of us are visible now, so let's head back to the woods, I think. As soon as you are out of sight of this tower, Adana drops the invisibility and then says, Okay, we're going to have to talk about that, but given that at least one person in that tower is awake and aware, we have a very small amount of time to take down the island's defenses and allow your allies to get here. She turns to you, kind of puts one hand up and cups your cheek and says, Are you alright? Um. No. Leo still got that wounded hand clenched up against his chest. No, I'm not. But we don't have time to worry about me right now. We just need to go take care of those turrets and get our people here. Right. We will discuss it uh, when we have a moment. She's gonna get up on her tiptoes to kind of kiss you on the forehead. Not again. And then she brings both hands down to make one of those magical cast cradles again. And she casts Telepathic Bond. Okay, what does that do? Uh, according to the spell's description, it forges a telepathic link among up to eight willing creatures, psychically linking each creature to all the others for the duration, and until the spell ends, the targets can communicate telepathically through the bond whether or not they have a common language. The communication is possible over any distance, though it can't extend to other planes of existence. So, don't go into the astral plane, but other than that, you can telepathically talk to Fee and Adana for the next hour. Leo telepathically yells, Hello? Inside your head, Fee says, Oh, the echo is deafening. Oh, haha, very funny. Anyway, let's all split up. Fee, you go try to find that turret that we found yesterday. Mom, you probably know where all of them are. You go find one, I'll go find the other. They both nod affirmatively. Fee heads off to the direction of the turret that you found yesterday. And Adana points off in another direction and in your head says, There's one over that way. I'll get the other one. Okay, everybody sound off when you find your target and we'll try for a coordinated attack. And then Leo's going off to try to find this turret. Okay, roll me investigation. Uh, I still have proficiency, so 19. Okay. You walk off through these woods, and as you're walking, 
out of the corner of your eye, you see Soren fall into step with you. Leo stops in his tracks and whips around to look at him. I cannot do this right now. Once this is over, you can haunt me for the rest of my fucking life. Kimrel knows I deserve it. But right now, I am trying to make sure that what happened to you never happens to anyone ever again, and I can't do that if I lose my mind. Soren gives you kind of a wounded look, and you watch a slow trickle of blood come out of his nose, and then he shakes his head, walks off, trailing those little flecks that look almost like snowflakes. That you remember from the gala at the museum in Volter. And he's just walking through the woods. Leo swallows really hard to get rid of the lump in his throat, and then follows him. You two walk through the woods in silence for a few more minutes. And you end up on the shores of Luxtagolan. Black sand crunching under your feet. As Soren walks up to one of these big defensive pylons, looks up at it, looks back at you, and then disappears. Alright, the telepathic bond is still active at this point. Leo's gonna check in with his mom and Fee and let them know that he's at his location. Very shortly after that, Adana responds, I'm here. And you wait on Fee for a few more minutes. You know that the pylon that the two of you found was pretty far from where you were at in the woods. But then she also responds, All right, let's do this. Three, two, one, go. Okay, and what are you doing? Uh, we said these things are made of stone, right? Y- yes. Okay, so I have a spell called Meld into Stone that lets me do pretty much what it says on the package. I would like to go inside the turret and try to just fuck it up from the inside to the point that it does not function. You, you what? <laughs> I, I, I go inside of it. I become part of the stone and I'd like to go inside it and just try to mess with whatever arcane mechanism is inside it to the point that it doesn't work anymore. Um, okay. <laughs> Roll me an arcana check with advantage? I guess? Yeah, I'm gonna have to use a fourth level spell slot because I'm out of third level ones, but Leo goes inside this stone tower and just starts fucking shit up to the best of his ability. The high roll was a 13. Okay. It was DC 15. So you fail this arcana check to, I think there's like a crystal that you have to try and dislodge at the top of it from within. And you don't do that. So you feel something shudder around you, and then you are expelled from the stone as it changes shape. So you take 22 bludgeoning damage as this stone spits you out onto the black sand beach, 
and you watch this tower jitter and shudder, and then the stone shifts as four spiky spider-like legs shoot out of it, and it raises itself up shakily and moves so the crystal at the top of it, like an eye, is trained on you. And I need you to roll me initiative. Leo, who's looking pretty bloody at this point, looks up at this horrifying stone robot thing. I'm picturing, like, the Guardians from Breath of the Wild, is that right? Exactly. Cool. He looks up at this thing, eyes going wide, and kind of calls out into the darkness. Hey, Soren, I I was kidding. Any backup would be great right now? <laughs> 17 to initiative. Okay, this big stone turret rolls a 14. Cool, okay, I'm going first. Life has small mercies that it gives to me. Leo zaps Kimrel's blade into his hands, goes, You know what, I don't have fucking time for this, and casts a fourth level inflict wounds on this thing. Let me roll to hit. 13. That absolutely does not hit. Not even a little bit. So now it's the turret's turn. I need you to make me a dex save. (sighs) That's a natural one. That is extremely unfortunate. Um, okay. (laughs) Your inflict wounds goes wide. And this turret tilts a little bit. And you see the crystal at the top of it, almost like an eye again, flare up. And then the light almost spins and then narrows down to a little pinprick at the center of this crystal. Leo looks up at it and goes, "Uh uh-oh. And then you take 29 radiant damage as a beam of light hits you right in the chest. And you are blasted back 10 feet. You feel a rush of sand going past you as you skid along the beach. Ouch! You hear your mother's voice in your head go, Is everything alright, you two? And then it is your turn. Through the telepathic bond, Leo replies, Never better! And he's going to try to inflict wounds this thing again. I'm using my last fourth level spell slot. Oh my god. There we go. 21. That will indeed hit. Roll damage. I'm not rolling shit. I'm going to use my once daily ability from Kimrel's Blade to do max damage on a necromancy spell. At fourth level, this thing's taking 60 necrotic damage. (laughs) Sure thing, buddy. Okay. You go up and slash at this thing with your knife, and where the organic kind of bone material of Kimrel's blade hits stone, streaks of black go out across this rock like veins in marble. It shudders, and the joint where one of its legs connects to the main body of the turret dislocates, and it falls to the side. Judders again, falls to the other side, and 
bits of this rock just fall apart along these veins. Cool. Is it dead? The light in this crystal goes dark and it is dead. Leo stands there over this thing's motionless form, clutching his knife and breathing raggedly, a little unhinged. (sighs) Not your proudest moment, Leo. Not your best day. All right. And then he goes to find his mom and Fee. As you're saying, it's not your best day. Soren appears on the other side of this rock turret. Looks at it, raises his eyebrows, and kind of shrugs at you. And go ahead and take a level up. Awesome! Yay! I'm gonna take this level in Cleric. Does that reset my spell slots? You can have your spell slots back. You do not recover your hit points. Great! Ow! I'm hurt so bad. Fee, you draw up on this big stone pylon that you found with your brother yesterday. It's dark silhouette standing out against the star-filled sky. You hear Leo in your head do a countdown. What are you doing to try to take this pylon out? Well, I know the magic is coming out of the crystal thingy. And I technically have a very small knife on me. (laughs) I'm gonna just try to jam the tip under the crystal and pop it out. Um, okay, that's gonna be two checks. It's very tall. So am I! (laughs) It's taller than you, my friend. This thing is probably 10, 11 feet tall. It's big. I don't want this incredulous reaction from you, Mr. I go in the turret. Oh, sorry, I wasn't aware that Fee had a rock climbing spell. Make an athletics check. No, I'm gonna back up and I'm gonna thunderstep onto the top of it. Okay. That is acceptable. Loud, but acceptable. Now make an arcana check to try to pry this crystal out with your knife. Thank you. That is an 11. A triumphant, victorious 11. Okay. So that means that you are on top of this turret as it wakes up and sprouts legs and starts to move. Go ahead and roll me a dex save. 21. (sighs) All right. So you are riding on top of this big magic robot. Please roll me initiative. Okay, that's also a 21. The turret gets a natural fucking one. I'm throwing these dice away. Sophie, you get two turns because the turret has to skip its first turn due to our homebrew rule. Okay. So with my first turn, I'm going to thunderstep back off of it, because this is precarious, and it's going to take 3d10 damage. It takes 26 damage. So Fee thundersteps off of this thing, hits the ground uh, about 15 feet away from it, skids into a fighting stance, and pulls her shield off of her back. And then she's going to cast Shatter. 
uh, at second level, so I need you to make me a con save with disadvantage. Because it is made of stone, you're right, okay. Uh, low one was a 15. So that doesn't do it, roll damage. That is 20 thunder damage. Okay, this thing looks extremely rough. Would you like to do anything with, like, bonus actions or movement before we go on to its turn? Uh, I'm 15 feet away. It looks pretty rough. I think Fee is just cursing to herself and a little bit too stunned by the fact that this thing moves and comes to life to do anything else. As this thing's top whirls around and you see that gleaming crystal focus in on you, the telepathic bond goes off in your head. You hear Adana's voice say, Everything alright, you two? And Leo's voice in your head, sounding very strained, goes, Never better. Fee does not respond, she's busy. And this thing's gonna take a blast at you. Go ahead and roll me a deck save, please. Thirteen. Nope. The center of this gem gleams brightly and narrows to a small point, and then you get smacked with a magic laser and go flying back ten feet. You take... 32 radiant damage. You take this bolt of light right to the breastplate, and it flares up in your eyes, makes your entire face feel hot. And you just go flying like a ragdoll back through the air and smack into a tree trunk, Wily Coyote style. You are still up, though. You managed to land on your feet. What are you doing? I'm gonna hellish rebuke the rock. Uh, so I need it to make me a deck save. Okay, it gets nothing to that. Four. So, no, go ahead and roll me that 3d10 lightning damage, please. With pleasure. Uh, that is 12 lightning damage. This thing blasts you backwards, and you instinctively reach up with your shield a moment too late, but then a spray of lightning fans out from the orb in your shield and just electrifies this thing you hear something inside it break like a power surge has gone through it or something and it just staggers forward and face plants in the ground it's totally dead fee sits down on the ground catches her breath and then through the telepathic bond says we're good over here leo's voice responds very quickly Okay, I know I wasn't quiet. I don't know about you two. Somebody probably heard that. Back to the cave. Fee, tell Sabine, go now. Fee pulls out her beacon coin, shoots a message off to Sabine that says, You should be able to approach now. Hurry. Very quickly, you get a message back on your coin that says, On our way, S. And are you heading back for Adonis Cave? Yep, add a clip. Going, going, going. As you run away from this fallen turret, go ahead and take another level up for me, please. Okay, sorcerer level 12, here we go. Excellent, you can go ahead and reset your spell slots, but you are keeping that hit you took to your HP. Well, good thing that I suddenly have 15 extra hit points because I upped my con. <laughs> good for you. 
All right. Several minutes later, the three of you all meet up outside of Adana's little cave. Leo looks bloody as shit, and like he has been through the ringer. You don't look fantastic. Adana doesn't have a hair out of place. She's just calmly examining her fingernails, waiting at the mouth of this cave as you two run up. She looks back and forth between you and Leo, looking a little worried. Did... did you try to fight them? You know you could have just popped the crystal out, right? Fee rakes her hands through her hair to push it off her face, sighs, and goes, So you knew they had legs? You were aware that they could, like, spring to life? I mean, mine didn't grow legs. I shut it down before I'd had the chance to. For future reference, <laughs> I at least would like a warning before a rock that I'm trying to take out of commission grows legs. <sighs> anyway, I tried to pop the crystal out and it didn't work. Leo stands next to you, sort of staring into the middle distance. I tried to go inside it. <laughs> Why? Because it would have been a really great idea if it had worked, okay? He, like, reaches out and shoves you just to be petty. He shoves him back! <laughs> you two get into a sibling slap fight, and as Adana is trying to wiggle in between the two of you to break it up, your beacon coin goes very hot against your skin. Okay, okay, pause, pause. He pulls the coin out. There is a message on the back that says, Docked off the eastern shore, can you come to us? Fee sends back. Will do. See you soon. Leo, you, your mother, and your sister walk down the black sand beach of Luxagolan toward a rowboat that has docked on the eastern shore. Even from a distance, you can see as Zed shoots out of the boat and starts heading up the beach at you, with Sabine and the captain not far behind, and several more of your friends sitting in the rowboat still. What are you doing? Leo does not have the energy to run to Zed, but when the two of them finally come together, he is just going to sigh and faceplant into his chest. Zed lets you do this, obviously, and pats your back, puts one hand on top of your head. Uh, hey boss, you look pretty rough. I've seen a lot of ghosts, and I just got spat out by a rock. So, I'll thank you not to mention it. Of uh, Alright. He leans down, kisses you on top of the head. And then goes very still for a second, as Sabine from behind him says, Ah, uh, who's your friend? Leo had closed his eyes and started to let out a sigh of relief, but he stops, opens them again, and clams up really fast. Um, let's go back to everyone else, because this is an introduction I only want to have to make once. Sabine says, Okay. And Adana from behind you says, Hello, everyone. Okay, who all's in the rowboat? Because it's going to depend who's there if I talk about this now or wait until we get back to the ship. 
Yeah, uh, your entire party is in this rowboat. It's a pretty big, long rowboat. So all of you make your way down the beach. What are you going to say about this? <laughs> Leo walks up to the side of the boat and just slowly brings a hand up to pinch at the bridge of his nose. Okay, everybody, we have a lot of talking and planning to do, but there's an introduction that I need to get out of the way first. As you're saying that, everybody is kind of piling out of the boat and getting themselves situated, and Fen turns, and so, so loudly, just no filter, just goes, Archduchess Valsine? Leo is staring, he's just staring into the abyss. Thank you, Fenandris. Kalesa, from where Eleonora is helping her out of the boat, stumbles and half falls into the boat and goes, Wait, what? For anybody who wasn't previously acquainted, um, yeah, this is Archduchess Adana Valsine of Australia. My mother. Eleonora has given up on helping Kalesa out of the boat to just stop and stare at you. In fact, Everyone on this boat is staring at you. And Adana just brings one hand up and does a little wave. Hi. Yeah, Leo gives up. He fully puts his head in his hands. I'm gonna roll to see how Adana's social skills are coping with this. She hasn't had to talk to people in a long time. She has plus zero to charisma and she rolled a three. <laughs> She looks at Fen and Kalesa, who are the only two people here she recognizes, and goes, Wow, Fenandris, you got big. Fen is just staring there slack-jawed. <laughs> uh, th thank you, ma'am. And Adana goes, No, really, you, you got big. And Kalesa just goes, Okay, someone explain. Leo has not looked up from his hands, just keeps talking into them. Um, well, obviously she's not dead. Yeah, I got that. I got that part. How? Well, and then Leo pauses, looks up from his hands, and kind of tilts his head at his mom. Actually, we never addressed that. How are you not dead? Oh, that. Um, you see... I hid a brooch in my cloak, and it had a very sharp pin on it, so when they were dragging me up to the tower, I stabbed one of the priests in the leg, and I kicked the other one in the groin, and then I ran. And then for 75 years, you've just been hanging out here? Well, I tried to get off the island, obviously, but uh, between my mental state and the magic protecting the island from intrusion, it, it was... I got turned around a few times. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, there's your answer, Kalesa. Um, so, this is a thing. Somehow, this is the least weird thing that's going on right now. So, reverse introductions. Mom, this is going to be complicated. You might want to take notes. Adana pulls loose paper out of her pocket. Okay, so... You know Fen and Kalesa, obviously. Um, the young lady over there next to Kalesa is Eleonora Ashthorn. She is my 
very good friend that I met when I was in Tortoon for a few years. Eleonora stares at the sand, very, very still. Also, another very good friend from my time in Tordoon, Ravane Sorel, necromancer extraordinaire and one of the only mentally stable people I know. Ravane also waves and very calmly says, feeling less so by the minute. Leo kind of squints at the person standing next to Ravane and trying to be very delicate about it goes, and that is one of Ravane's adoptive mothers. She interrupts you and says, uh, Selica Morin, nice to meet you. Thank you, Selica. Um, our resident archaeologist, lore master, pragmatist, Erevé Enmar. Erevé squints, straightening her goggles and goes, Thank you? And then Adana from behind you goes, Oh, are you uh, Karen's daughter? Right? And then she looks around, shakes her head and goes, I, I go, I went to, uh, to school with your father. Erevé goes extremely stiff. You watch her jaw clench for a second and she goes, Right, that's nice. Um, he's dead. And Adana flinches as she says that, and then kind of takes a step back and just hunches in on herself a little. <clears throat> um, our friend over there by Fen is Dominial Saunders. They're a- Mia glares daggers at you. <laughs> and they raise their eyebrows and they say, think carefully. They have a lot going on. Anyway, this is Verity. She's, um, here for moral support, mostly. Verity, from the boat, waves enthusiastically and says, Hi, when's your birthday? And Fee, from behind you, says, Don't! Do not! Verity, I am saying this so kindly with all the love in my heart, please. Verity shrugs and says, Okay! Adana, looking a little confused, says, uh, it's in- What do I have to roll to try to get a hand over her mouth? <laughs> dex, we'll do a dex contest. <laughs> 21. 22. Adana says, it's in- uh, And then you get a hand over her mouth. <laughs> and she looks at you confused as Verity nods sagely and goes, Ah, Scorpio. Absent through his childhood. Leo makes sense now. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> anyway, this is Sabine Javares, our chief strategist, leader of one of the premier dance troops in Australia, international super spy, uh, Fee's girlfriend, also. Sabine has by this point put both hands over her face and is just sitting on the edge of the rowboat. And she just does a little two-finger wave, the bells on her wrist jingling. And then there's the captain, Pirate King of the Zephyr Isles. One of my best friends, also the source of much of my acid reflux. Uh, he's Sabine's husband and also Fee's boyfriend. It's an interesting story. Most of your group is just staring into the middle distance, like processing what's going on. 
The captain is fully mentally not engaging with anything. He just goes, pleasure to meet you, ma'am. And then finally, Leo turns over to Zed and just looks like he wants to sink into the sand and never come out. And um, this is Zed Stonebloom, my boyfriend. Zed waves very awkwardly. <laughs> and then Adana squints at him, brings both her hands up and does one of those cat's cradles. Again, jittery and kind of broken, but very solid. She looks at it, looks up at Zed and says, Oh, you're the one that's going to give me grandchildren. Mom, no! <laughs> Zed's face does some very interesting things in the span of a few seconds. <laughs> and then he says, Wow! Uh... And he puts both hands up and then puts them back down. <laughs> we had not discussed that... at all. Leo is shriveling up like a shrinky dink. I, I mean, honey, to clarify, um, this is the woman that used to ground me for things I hadn't done yet. Uh, she's a diviner. She sees the future. I don't know if that makes this better or worse. Adana waves her hand at you and says, I see possible futures. Nothing I see is definite, but... And Zed says, uh-huh. Anyway, much more urgent matters at hand. Um, we don't have the time to explain how we know all of the details of this, but there is a giant ghost chasm under the floor of the tower that people have been getting pushed into for 10,000 years, and that's what's fueling all of the divine soul sorcery in Australia. So, um, in the interest of stopping father and... You know, also stopping the mass sacrifice of sentient people. We should maybe do something about that. Literally everyone except Fee and Adana is just staring at you. <laughs> I mean, not to be grim, but it explains a lot. All the disappearances from the Dragon's Maw. Everybody that was going missing from Australia. Kind of everybody tenses up, but the captain clenches both hands into fists. And Celica shakes herself and just stares down at the beach. Sabine, kind of looking around at your whole group, pipes up. Okay, not that I doubt this, but how, how do you know this is what's happening? Give us the condensed version. Okay, I'm about to say a collection of words. When Fee and I disappeared from the courtroom, we got pulled into a celestial plane where Kimrel and Kiva showed us basically the history of the universe, and more importantly, how the Valsine dynasty came to be, and we experienced all of that. And then, if that weren't enough to confirm things, after we got on the island and found my mom, we definitely watched the Hierophant slit a guy's throat and kick him into the ghost zone. Leo holds up his hand that still has that necrotic wound on it. Also, I tried to touch it, and it did this to me. Zed swears and grabs your hand to look at it. Roll insight for me. That's a 30, because I just rolled a nat 20. Okay, with a 30, you watch this flash of a pained expression go across Sabine's face. Her shoulders kind of bow in for a second, and then she straightens up, shakes her head. Okay, 
that's yeah, that's compelling evidence. Um, I, I I need to take a walk. We should make sure we're not being watched anyway, and find some place for all of us to bunk down for the night. I assume that you don't have somewhere that can house the entire crew of the ship. So, um, and then she walks off, and Fee and the captain both head off after her. Leo frowns. Edward, the three of them just walked off, and then kind of elbows Zed in the side. Okay, so Sabine definitely knows something that she did not share with the rest of us. We should probably go see what that's about. Zed has stopped looking at your wounded hand and is just staring into the middle distance. Boss, I don't know if I can do that right now. Would you rather go with me and solve this problem or stay here and talk with my mother about the likelihood of the two of us having children? Adana pipes up. It's about 83% if you're curious. And then Zed says, let's go! (laughs) Fee, it's a little hard for you and the captain to keep up with Sabine. She just goes charging across this beach and into the line of trees beyond. Like she's on a mission to look for something, but also seemingly with no direction. You know her well enough to know that she is freaked, because you have seen her do this and react this way before, where she will get deeply upset about something and just dip. The situation where she found out about Alasha's hand and her family's death back in Valdur comes to mind. Leo and Zed actually catch up with you and the captain before the two of you catch up with her, just kind of jogging along at your sides. What are you doing? Uh, keeping pace as best I can so my girlfriend doesn't wander away and get murdered because we're on a death island. You follow her into this clearing where she just stops, brings both hands up to fist in her hair, and then turns around to see that she now has an entourage with her. Sabine just lets out this long-suffering groan and starts pacing. Sweetheart, I get the situation is... Less than ideal, but how about we talk about it? She looks like she would rather jump off a cliff than do what you just suggested. She keeps pacing, but as she turns around at the end of one lap across this clearing, the captain reaches out and gets her by the wrist, and sort of just pulls her in and wraps his arms around her waist. No one here's gonna push you, lass, but maybe consider how much good trying to shut people out's ever done you. Fee reaches out and grabs Sabine's hand and says, Whatever it is, the two of us are here and we just... We just want to help. That's the thing. I don't think that there is any help in this situation. I just... Ugh! She looks wrecked. She bristles like an alley cat backed into a corner and kind of just tugs the captain's hands off her waist and starts pacing again. I'm going to need everybody to roll me an active perception check right now. That's a six for Fee. Okay, the captain got a three. Leo got a 20. Zed got a 13. Not his best perception roll ever. And Sabine's going to roll with disadvantage because she's busy freaking out right now. Everybody's rolling threes on the die today, man. 
So that's a 14 for Sabine. And then I need to roll one more thing. Okay. You and the captain are both kind of busy trying to get Sabine calmed down, but out of the corner of your eye, you see Leo squint off into the trees and kind of bring a hand down to rest on his bracer. But before you can think too much about it, Sabine is just running off at the mouth, kind of talking in a stream of consciousness. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? There's no help for this situation. There's never been any help for this situation. And yeah, I agree, I could have handled things better, and there's a lot that I should have just told you two from the beginning, but now we're at a point that any information I could give you would be useless because our endgame is going to have to be the same no matter what, right? We want to stop your father, we want to keep people from getting hurt, we're going to have to take over the whole island. That's the only thing we can do. I, I'm inclined to agree with that, yeah. We cut this all off at the root, and then we go from there. What's the problem with that? Sabine lets out this guilty, wounded little noise and kind of curls in on herself. I still haven't told you everything. The problem is... And then from off on the other side of this clearing, you hear Leo go, Oh, shit! I don't like that. I turn around. Your brother had walked up to the edge of this clearing to investigate something, and you see him jumping back and zapping the knife out of his bracer as a small, lean silhouette approaches from between the trees. This person emerges, the soft bioluminescence of their skin concealed behind a gauzy black veil that gets peeled back. And Sid Illidan, the Hierophant of Australia, takes two big, confident steps into this clearing, nods at all of you before focusing his gaze on Sabine, and says... The problem is that if you want to take over the whole island, you're not going to be able to do it without help from the inside. And then he reaches into the front of his robes, pulls out a small round coin that gleams in the moonlight. Keeping secrets, Sabine. That's not like you. Truth dies in darkness, after all. Hey, sis. Long time no see. And that's where we're going to end this week. <laughs> well, this should be interesting. And we'll see what happens next time. Uncompelled <laughs> duel. Hey everybody, Barry here with the postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. As always, I'm going to go ahead and plug our social media profiles. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at Compelled Duel. We have lots of other cool stuff going on, however, an official website, an official Spotify profile, our official merch store, stuff like that. 
You can find all that stuff linked on any of our various social media profiles. If you're interested in supporting the show, we ask that you consider heading over to patreon.com slash compelled duel, where starting at just $2 a month, you can get access to all kinds of cool patron perks, including early access to episodes, access to exclusive playlists and bonus content, and even handwritten letters from your favorite character every month. If you're interested in supporting the show in ways other than pledging to our Patreon, we ask that if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that you leave us a rating and a review, since that helps the show get promoted to a wider audience. We host a weekly Q&A show on our YouTube every week, and we would love to see you show up for that, ask a couple questions. We always have a really fun time. And as always, if you like what you're hearing on the show, we ask that you just tell a couple friends about it. And if they like it, ask them to tell a couple friends as well. Word of mouth advertising is the most powerful tool we have at our disposal. Our next episode will be going live on Friday, April 22nd, 2022. Or if you are a member of our Patreon, you'll be getting early access on Thursday, April 21st. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next week.